that song before as they were practicing it. And of course, they had no way of seeing my notes, but I can't think of a better song that could be sung in preparation for the sermon this morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, I didn't get a chance to count all of them, but I believe this is my 21st Mother's Day sermon as the pastor of this church. And uh, uh, I, I love preaching and teaching the Bible. I have spent my entire adult life in studying and sermon preparation but uh, I have very little experience in the uh, personal experience in the area of motherhood. Uh, in fact, I don't ever intend to get any. Amen? Uh, I don't think I could. And um, yet, we, we live in a time when we really need peace in our hearts. Amen? And one of the most difficult things, I mean... We often say uh, uh, manhood is, uh, is under attack, but I, I want to tell you womanhood is under attack. Uh, just trying to live the Christian life today, to, to live the principles that are in this Bible are rather radical. Uh, we, uh, uh, you, you know, it's uh, my favorite example of this is when you find one of those people who are really trying to push the envelope of society. Uh, it's usually uh, very recognizable in uh, uh, multicolored hair and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how I describe it. I don't mean to be totally disparaging, but... If you look like you fell into your father's tackle box, uh, that's really not uh, what it is. You've got little things sticking out all over the place. And, and people try to, try to look and behave in radical ways. But just try to love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the weirdos are going to be calling you weird. Amen? I guess nobody's tried that around here. You try to live the Bible. And even the strangest of the strange are going to look at you very strangely. And we come here to chapter 2 of the book of 1 Timothy. And we have some instruction here, and I want us just to read one verse, and I'm going to warn you before we read it, that it is one of the more difficult verses in your Bible to really understand. And, and what commentators do with this verse is beyond the realm of imagination. I, I, I just don't know how you get there, but we're going to try to explain uh, this verse biblically and give you an understanding of what the Apostle Paul is talking here. In verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. It says that 
she shall be saved. I want you to notice, as soon as he says, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, we've had uh, religions that have uh, promoted this idea that the uh, greatest thing that a woman can do is have children and, and that it actually um, helps in her salvation experience and all of this. And that's not what this is talking about. If, if you want the Bible to understand the Bible, let the Bible explain the Bible. Uh, if you want a big word, childbirth is not propitiative. That means propitiation is what Jesus did to give us our salvation. And childbirth does not give a lady salvation. That's not what this verse is talking about. But if you will turn in your Bible, just over a page in my Bible, to chapter 4 and verse 16, we're going to see the same word used in a sentence that may give us a little more light on what the Apostle Paul is talking about in chapter 2. He says, Take heed unto thyself, talking to Timothy here, and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both... What's the next word there? Save thyself and who else? Them that hear thee. He says, Timothy, I want you to take heed to yourself and the doctrine. I want you to continue in them, continue in taking care of yourself and paying attention to how you live and making sure that it matches up to Bible doctrine. Because if you will do this, you're going to save yourself and you're going to save those that hear you. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Timothy saved when Paul wrote these words to him? Of course he was. Read chapter 1. Timothy was saved. He was serving the Lord. He was pastoring the church at Ephesus. And Paul was writing this letter to him to encourage him in the faith and in the job uh, of pastoring that church. So how does it mean, save thyself? Well, number one, how do you get saved? By believing what the Bible says. That's doctrine. Believing that Jesus is the only way. But Timothy was already saved. It says you're going to... You see, you get saved by believing what the Bible teaches. By believing Bible doctrine. That doctrine says that I must go to God and ask Him to save me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're going to enjoy your salvation, that's the next step. What else are you going to do? Well, you're going to live Bible doctrine every day. Amen? And what is the job of the preacher? To remind people of what the Bible teaches. Uh, the preacher cannot make you do right. 
was talking with some people and uh, yesterday about salvation and things. And the, the man said, well, my mother kind of just beat it into me. And I said, you know something? I said, you can't beat salvation into anybody. And he laughed and said, yeah, that's right. It's a personal decision you've got to make between you and God. That's what the Bible teaches. But if you're going to enjoy life, if you're going to enjoy that salvation, guess what? You're going to have to work on it each and every day to be obedient to Bible doctrine. It says, for in doing this, you shall save yourself and them that hear you. You know what Paul's talking about? He's talking about keeping you safe, not keeping you saved. It's Jesus' job to keep you saved. And you know what? He hasn't lost one yet. Amen? There's never been one person in all of history that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then lost that relationship with God. Somebody says, well, what about Judas? The Bible's very clear. He was the son of perdition. He was never saved. He was the great imitator. He got so close, but he never got truly saved. This allows you to be prepared for heaven. I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, you can be so spiritually minded you're no earthly good. I'll tell you what, you're going to spend a lot more time in heaven than you will here on earth. Maybe it would do us all well to think about the heavenly and maybe we would be just a little bit misfitting here on earth, but we might fit in a little better when we get to heaven. I think that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. And if we take this same word and this same application and go back to chapter 2, we're going to find out that it fits. It says here, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness With sobriety. You see, hardest thing in the world to do is to surrender to God to be the person He wants you to be. You know, it's easy to surrender to God to be the person that I think He wants me to be. Do you get the difference? You see, this is what Joel Osteen teaches. Is you surrender to God so that you can realize the things that are in your heart. That's why we reject him and his teaching as false and heretical. It comes more, if you want to know where it really comes from, it comes from Buddhism. The mantras that the worshipers repeat, uh, you are supposed to pick what you want in life. And you keep repeating those things until you realize them. The next time, if you like to listen to Joe Osteen, I'm not trying to just uh, 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 harp on him this morning, but the next time you listen to him preach a sermon, think about realizing what my heart desires, and all of a sudden he will make such perfect sense, and it should scare the living daylights out of you. 
because he's holding a Bible, not a Buddhist prayer book. It's terrifying in the world in which we live. We don't want to be what God wants us to be. Because we have our own plans and our own desires. It is so hard. The, the cliche is, well, I need to put in my two cents. Well, I'm sorry. Most of the time we put in our two cents, we deserve a lot more than that in change. Because it's not worth two cents. In fact, it does a lot more harm than good when we take our ideas and our thoughts and write them over the Holy Scripture. And Paul went through this passage, and we understand, and we're going to come back to verse 15 and put it in the context of the rest of the passage here, but let's get back to verse 9. Paul is trying to help the Timothy pastor the church at Ephesus here and give him instruction to teach the people how they ought to live. Most of the Ephesians were Gentile in their upbringing and in their heritage. They did not grow up with the Bible as the Jewish believers did. And so they had to start at ground zero. They had to start be, be, uh, with no knowledge of God at all, the true God anyway. And so we start here in verse 9. And, and he's speaking to the women. He says in, uh, uh, to Timothy to instruct the women, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman also, I'm sorry, let the woman learn in silence with subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence for Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, if you are here today and you've embraced modern feminism, I, I want to warn you, this is not going to be a pleasant sermon for you to listen to. But I do want to challenge you that possibly, not possibly, that without question, the God that created this universe knows a little better about how we ought to live and work together than the National Organization of Women does, uh, than the Congress of the United States, uh, than any society as a whole. And nor do we accept their charges against the Bible, that the Bible is demeaning to women because of the verses that we just read. You see, all you have to do is walk through the checkout stand at any supermarket. And what do you see? 
you see magazines with pictures of women on the front who are adorned in all kinds of things. It is specifically forbidden in the Bible here in this passage. But let me just read you the definition of adornment. It says, to be an ornament to, to beautify as an ornament does. To be an ornament to, to add beauty or luster to. How many of you like Christmas trees? You know what? We put things on the Christmas tree because just having a green tree standing in the living room may smell nice and add to your uh, uh, allergies, but uh, they just look better with lights and all of the things that we put on it. Right? Now, the question is, ladies, and you know, guys, there's some application here. Somebody said, oh, the ladies take so long to get dressed. I'll tell you what, I got more problems when we travel with a group of guys than we do with the ladies most of the time. What do you do to ornament yourself? What do you do to add beauty or luster to your appearance? What do you want people to look at? When they look at you. That's what this passage is talking about. It says if you're going to be this woman who is going to be saved, who's going to be able to continue in these things, you've got to be there first. What, what do you do? You see, here's the, the positive list. The first thing on it is modest apparel. And you know what? I don't do a lot of preaching on how ladies ought to dress. You know where that happens? That happens in our ladies' meetings among our ladies. Because that is how the Bible says it ought to be taught. Amen? And if you have a question about that, See my wife, she'll help you. And she'll give you reasons and instruction and all of those things. And ladies, we encourage you to come to the ladies' meeting. That's not all that's taught, but that's certainly taught there. And you have to make a decision. Modesty is not just the length of the skirt or the amount of cloth that is covering. Uh, there are... Modesty starts in your heart. And it is shown on the outside by how you dress yourself. This next one is something that is absolutely gone in modern day society. Shamefacedness. Does that mean I need to walk around like this with shame on my face? No. Shamefacedness Probably the best way to describe this, in fact, when I looked it up in the dictionary, it said the opposite of shamefacedness is shamelessness. Do you get that? How many of us know what shamelessness means? Anybody doesn't? Raise your hand, we'll define that for you. 
You know, I think that's a term that we're all familiar with. Shamefacedness is exactly the opposite of shamelessness. You know, we've lost the ability to blush today. Oftentimes, our windows of our apartment open on the sidewalk, and we'll hear people coming by talking, and hear little teenage girls, and I'm sorry if you're a teenager, you're still little, talking in words that would have embarrassed filthy, drunken men that I grew up in the area with. They would not use... I remember those men would say, oh, 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 I'm sorry, I can't talk that way. Your mother's here. You're here. I'm going to clean up my language because there's children. I remember my dad taking us into the barber shop. And he'd say, now, Charlie, I got the kids here. You got to talk clean. You know, hey, that's the way it used to be. That's what shamefacedness is. Ladies, wouldn't it be nice to walk down the street and not have some guy go, Ooh, yeah, hi. I mean, shamefacedness discourages that. It's having a separation between you and the world. It's not wanting to just join in the conversation and take the lead. The next one is sobriety. Of course, when we think of sobriety today, we think not under the influence. And, and of course, that, that is the idea of sobriety, but it means moderation in any respect. Avoidance of excess or extravagance. I like the third definition. It says staidness, gravity, seriousness. Now listen to this last one. Soundness or saneness of judgment. That's sobriety. I'll tell you what, if we could we all need sobriety, amen. Just the ability to not be moved when people say you're missing out on life because you don't have a career or because you're not doing this or because you're uh Sobriety is the ability to know what's right and do it anyway. Now we get to the negative list. Broided hair. Now, broided is a, an old English term. It means plated. Uh, oftentimes, ladies of old would take uh, all kinds of things and literally weave them in their hair, including gold and silver threads and all of this stuff. You say, how did you wash your hair? You didn't. I mean, it was, it was uh, uh, let's move on. <laughs> you put, go to the trouble of putting all that stuff there. You can't wash it out because you lose it. And it's and the idea of having, being able to walk in the room and having every eye, especially those of the males in the room, drawn to your hair. That's, that's what broid, that's why the, 
queens and the ladies of old used to do that. It said, not of gold or pearls or costly array. It says that your adorning ought to be modesty, modest apparel, shamefacedness, and sobriety. Tell you what, if you've ever met a lady that is like that, you just like to be around them because they rub off on you and help you. They'll teach you things that you can't learn. This is, you see, the world teaches us, teaches a woman that if she's going to be noticed, she needs to make herself noticeable. Can I say it any nicer than that? And the Bible says, abandon what the things you can see and let the Lord work on your heart. And that doesn't mean you have to wear a burlap sack and all this kind of stuff. That's not what it's talking about. In fact, The Amish people draw as much attention to themselves as the Hollywood crowd does. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. It's about drawing attention to the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Amen? Now this next one everybody gets upset about. Look what it says in verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Oh my. You know what this is talking about? It is talking about not competing with men in society. That's what it's talking about. In the church society in particular. You know what? We have nothing to prove to the world what we do in here. What we do in here, we are trying to prove to the Lord. You know what? When we sing our songs, if you sing those songs as an act of worship, what you are should be doing is singing them to the Lord Jesus. Singing in praise to His name. We have nothing to prove to the world. We are not in competition with them. We have nothing in common with the world. Our paths are as different as the narrow way which leads into life and the broad way which leads into destruction. So why are we constantly looking to find common ground between the two ways? It could only be one reason. It's because you're not satisfied with being on the narrow way. It says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be... In silence. You know what? It's saying, ladies, can you trust God's leadership in your life? 
Now, that's a tough one. You say, well, that's easy. I just read the Bible. Okay, well, we read the Bible. You can't do anything with those words except what they said. Right? But what's this idea of subjection? You see, it is trusting in God to lead the leadership in your life. One of the big jokes of our society is, why don't you stop and ask for directions? No, I don't need to ask for directions. I'm not lost. That great American, I think it was uh, Daniel Boone, said, I have never been lost. He said, I was bewildered once for three days, but I have never been lost. And we joke about this back and forth. But I want you to understand something. God has made something inside women to need to trust in leadership that is not their own. We're going to get to a very controversial passage here where it says Adam was formed first and Eve and Adam wasn't in the transgression, but Eve was. And, and people say, you see there, the, the women are in... No, that's not what it's talking about at all. Adam was there when Eve was tempted and the idiot kept his mouth shut and did nothing to protect his wife from the temptations of the devil. That's what this passage is talking about. And that men need to do something to protect ladies from the temptations that are out there. To give them the freedom to be women. You see... That's never going to happen if you've got to hold the wheel. I quote my pastor often, and I am so glad that I can quote him and, and, and with all authority because the same is true in my family as well. He says, I am the man of my house because my wife lets me be. And that's what he's talking about here when he talks about in silence and subjection. He's not saying without opinion, without wisdom. I'll tell you some of the wisest counsel I've had in my ministries come from my wife. But it did not come from her saying, now you need to. No, that doesn't work. It doesn't say that you don't have thought processes, ladies. But I will promise you this. You're not going to get the thought processes that are going to be helpful and influential until you've surrendered to wait and to be quiet and to let leadership lead. You see, that will give you a freedom that you will never have any other way. It works in the home. It works in the church. And by the way, if you want to do a study of American history, it has worked in history as well. You see, it's the idea 
of not reserving final judgment to yourself. See, we live in a world where no matter what you say, you can always appeal to a higher authority. I don't like the ticket that policeman gave me. I don't think it's right. Well, go to the judge. Well, I don't like the judge. They just agreed with the policeman. Well, you can appeal it. And uh, if you want to, you can appeal it to the Supreme Court. It's not going to get there. They're going to laugh at you and throw it out. But there have been people that have gone to the Supreme Court and they say, I don't agree with what those men said. You know what they're doing? They're reserving the right of final judgment to themselves. You know what? I want to reserve the right of final judgment to this book right here. I'll tell you what, it's a fearful thing to preach this sermon in front of all these ladies this morning. Amen? And I was struggling with the message, and the Lord just kept bringing me back to this passage. And I said, okay, here we go. You know why? It's not because I want to be mean on Mother's Day. But ladies... If you want to enjoy, if you want to find the greatest level of satisfaction life has to offer, it's in obedience to the Word of God. You see, man, there's an application here for us. We need to live in such a way that allows... I can be the man of my wife, man of my house, because my wife allows me to. But she can't be the woman of the house, the way God wants her to be, unless I allow her to do that as well. Are we all together here? And you know what? We have an application to our church. We can't be the church that Jesus wants us to be if everybody is trying to be the pastor. I praise the Lord. We've had very little problem with that. Some, my son Peter told me, he said, Dad, you're just so intimidating. I said, intimidating? I'm not intimidating. He said, oh, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, maybe I am. But here's the truth we're trying. We're trying to get to biblical truth today. Because you can't worship God unless you're living biblical truth. You can't have an ordered home unless you order it according to the Word of God. We meet here in a church and say we want to worship God, but if we don't do it God's way, God is bound to reject the worship as being false. Now, I don't want that to happen to you. So, we come down here. You see, it says that the two points is, in like manner, women adorn themselves. What are you doing to complement yourself, to beautify yourself? And the second one is, 
learning in silence and subjection and not usurping authority over the man. I'll tell you some of the harshest and most biting things that have happened to me have not been things that people have said, but have been things people didn't say. You can communicate things, and I'm not talking about turning the cold shoulder, and I'm not talking to you any. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about maybe not demanding an apology when you deserve one. That's just one application of that. You see, if God is working in your heart, and God is working in that other person's heart, He's going to solve the problem, no matter what it is. Because He's God. And you both cannot love God and hate each other. Read First John. It can't happen. But you don't know my wife. Oh, I'm not afraid. Bring her to church. Amen. You don't know my husband. Well, uh, that may be a blessing, but let's get rid of it and get together and talk about the Bible. Amen. You see, we get back to our text here, our main verse. Notwithstanding all of these things, These all, all these things point to this last verse. You see, childbirth is a great privilege. But it's not the only thing that determines womanhood. That's why the rest of the verse is there, amen? And it's got to be surrendered to the Lord... If there are no children, or if there are many children, it still has to be surrendered to the Lord. That's what this verse means when it says, uh, Nevertheless, she shall be saved in childbearing. It's not talking about necessarily Sarah, uh, the wife of Abraham, gave birth to one child when she was 90 years old. You know what? She had surrendered, all except for the matter of Hagar. Boy, what a mess that is, still to this day. If, if Sarah had just stayed surrendered, things would be different, would they not? You see, the abortionist are concerned with abortion for only one reason. Somebody said, oh, it's just the money. No. Without abortion, a woman cannot be equal to a man. Because a woman cannot compete with a man and bear children at the same time. It just can't happen. You know why... There are men higher on the corporate ladder than there are women. It's because they don't have to stop for nine months. And then 
the next 25 years to take care of a child. I don't know how many people have seen this. I haven't seen it, but all of my kids have, and they keep talking to me about the Hallmark advertisement. And this guy gets on, uh, does an interview, and says, we're offering a job. He says, now, this job is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Well, don't I get any time off? What about holidays? Well, no, holidays, the workload increases. It says you're going to be expected to prepare meals and, and take care, uh, total care uh, uh, of, this, of, of these people. And say, well, when do I get to eat? Only after they've finished. Um, well, what about retirement? No, you never really retire. The problems just get bigger. Well, what about the pay? Well, actually, when you talk about monetary pay, it is the lowest paid job in the history of mankind. So, well, why would I want this? Well, I want to tell you that billions of people have chosen this job and embraced it and loved it. You've got to be kidding me. It's being mother. You know what? You never get a day off. When the holiday comes, she has to do twice the work that everybody else does. They said they showed that to one little young woman and she just started blubbering all over the camera. <laughs> I gotta send my And then at the end it says, Send your mother a Mother's Day card. I'll tell you what, whoever came up with that one. Had some, had some smarts now, didn't it? I'll tell you what. Motherhood is an impossible job. You've got to have some help. But you'll never get the help you need, ladies, unless you're willing to let the husband be the man of the household. Now, we know there are some, just some men out there that don't want to ever do that. And the key to that one is teaching our young ladies never to get mixed up with that trash in the first place. That's hard, but that's true. If someone doesn't want to be a man, just stay away from them. I remember my daughter was come, Dad, what do you think of this fella? And I said... Him? He's such a sissy. He is not. About a month later, calls back and says, Dad, you were right. He is a sissy. Let me tell you something. God will use men. Part of the job of a father is to help his daughter pick a man instead of an imitation. And ladies, I'm sorry. God didn't give you the wisdom to be able to make that choice all by yourself. You need some protection. Ladies, we, we want to do what we can but there has to be some choices made on your parts as well. 
There's got to be a surrender in this childbearing thing. If God gives you children, you accept them. By the way, if you're not married, God has no intention of giving you children, so just let it alone. That surrender will save you from a life of problems. You see, if you'll continue in faith, and we're almost done this morning, what is faith? Faith is believing God's Word. How do you get saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You take that simple application of faith and put it in your daily life. And it'll make a difference. You see, the next one is charity. What is charity? There's a reason in our King James Bible why the word love and charity are separate words. Because there are different meanings to the word love. And the best working definition I can give you of the word charity is love in action. It's love that does something. That's why we call them today charitable organizations. They're supposed to do something. The big problem with charity today is the only thing it does is pay salaries to employees. Uh, That's bad. But real charity helps people. It does something. Biblical charity is taking your faith and allowing it to become so real that it helps someone beside you in a loving way. That's charity. What's the next one? Holiness. You know, I've seen people do all kinds of stuff. Read a story... Uh, of a man who was a murderer, violent, wicked, evil man. And yet, his mother did everything she could to get his sentence commuted from a death sentence to life sentence. She, She campaigned for him. He even went to the President of the United States in trying to secure for him a lesser punishment than his crimes deserved. They said, oh, how that mother loved her son. No. You see, that's charity without holiness. And that just leads to slavery. That leads to promotion of sin. Not the quelling of it. True love brings someone closer to God. And it says with sobriety. Every decision the Bible asks you to make, you have been taught since you were old enough to understand words that it's wrong by the society in which we live. How many of you are old enough to remember the Equal Rights Amendment of the mid-70s? I'll tell you, this movement in our society has done more to debase and destroy womanhood than anything I know of. You 
You see, sobriety is moderation, staidness, gravity, soundness or saneness of judgment. It says, she shall be saved in childbearing, just like you have to surrender to have faith. You have to surrender to God's Word to have charity. Guess what? You have to surrender to God's Word to have holiness. You have to live in God's Word to have sobriety. Why can't we just apply the same to the childbearing? And guess what? It works. We apply the same to the doctrine in chapter 4, and it works. It's a simple understanding of God's Word that if we will surrender our lives to His Word and His will, that we will reserve to God the right of final judgment instead of ourselves, we will find the peace that God wants us to have. We'll find the purpose and the satisfaction of life that God wants us to have. But it comes only as we surrender to Him. And you know what? We as human beings make mistakes. We do things wrong. But I'm here to tell you today that God is a God of forgiveness. And though all the pain and the suffering cannot be erased, how about we strive from this day to continue in faith, in charity, in holiness, and sobriety. We'll surrender to be obedient to the Bible in these areas of our life and let God take care of the rest. And all God's people say. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we've looked into your word. And I believe we've brought forth truth from your word. Of course, the only thing the preacher can do is set forth your word in as simple and understandable fashion as is possible. Lord, it's the decision in the hearts of each one here in this room that have to determine what they will do with that truth. Lord, when we surrender to it as an act of worship to the holiness of God, it changes us and brings us closer to You. When we choose to seek our own way and do our own thing, it moves us farther away. Lord, I pray that during this time of invitation, we would desire you to move us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, Brother Franz. Come lead us. Hymn of Invitation 294, Just as I am, without one plea.